morning's reading is Matthew 13, 47 to 52. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out his storeroom, out of his storeroom, new treasures as well as old. This is the gospel of Christ. Thank you very much, much, uh, Kerry, for reading that. I said before, uh, thank you for coming on this um, kind of miserable morning. I hope you're still pleased you came at the end. This is a very difficult passage, I've found. A lot of tricky stuff here, stuff that's uh, quite confronting, but obviously the Lord wants us to think about and consider today. So will you join with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this chance to take a bit of time out from our normal rhythms and routines Uh, to spend some time together now as your people, as a church family. And we've just heard some fairly strong words on the lips of the Lord Jesus. And we pray that now as we think on them, think about what they mean, what they mean for us, what they mean for everyone, that you would um, help us seek your truth, that you would help us uh, accept your truth and see what it means for life. So please be at work amongst us now by your spirit, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the, uh, the last few months or so, there's been one word that seems to have dominated my life, one word that's been emblazoned on, it seems, every screen I've looked at, uh, every billboard I've driven past, it's been on the lips of countless people, and the word is vote. I keep seeing the word vote everywhere, whether it was with New Zealand, with our uh, elections and the referendum, or whether, and perhaps in some ways more, Uh, America and their elections, I felt like I couldn't turn around without being told that there was an election coming up and I needed to vote. I had people telling me to vote. I had organisations imploring me to vote. I had celebrities going on and on and on about the need to vote. I said people and celebrities because I don't view celebrities as people. That's why I just said that. The big push was, I could see why they were doing it, the big push was because these things are important. The elections, the referendum are important uh, I think the big push this year was because more than ever we've, um, we've been able to vote before the actual vote. So people were saying, look, there's an election day coming up, vote now. There's something in the future, do something about it now. And we know human nature. We know that uh, human, as human beings, future events don't always motivate us to act accordingly in the present. It's exam season at the moment. There will be some of you right now feeling the pressure of exam time. And for some of you, that pressure will cause you to be working hard and studying diligently right now. Then there's my children. Then there's others, I mean. Then there's others who do things like, well, let's just call it procrastination. 
All of us know that we're going to retire one day and have no income. That motivates some of us to prepare for that and work hard at that. Uh, Others of us will worry about it more when we get closer to the time. That's how we are. You may invite people around for a meal. And there are some people when they do that, they go straight out to the shops and they plan and prepare exactly what's going to be on on the menu and there'll be others who wait till the visitors arrive and then go, what do you feel like? Some of, us, some of that will be personality-driven, won't it? Some of us are just more that kind of personality that uh, like to be organised. Some of it will be priorities. We view as important certain things, so they're the ones we prepare for, for the future, but others we don't. But the knowledge of a future event, even important one, doesn't mean everyone will necessarily act accordingly in the present. Why else do governments con- compel pension payments throughout a working life? Because they know not everyone will do it. Why doesn't everyone do better at exams? Because some work harder than others. Why did we have to be told again and again to vote? Because we knew that many wouldn't. Well, this morning we're back in Matthew's Gospel. We're back in Matthew chapter 13. We're back in this section of the Bible where Jesus has been telling these parables about the kingdom of heaven. And you'll remember that parables are short stories that Jesus uh, uses to teach spiritual truths. And these spiritual truths have all been about the kingdom of heaven. And this week in our verses, we get, as Luke said at the beginning of our time together, to the end of these parables. We get to the end of this section in chapter 13. These are the last two. And in many ways, they wrap up everything that's come before and draw a line under it. And the first one in particular gives us such a stark vision of something in the future, gives us such a clear vision of an event that's going to happen that we need to be aware of it now. We need to be living in the light of it right now. This is not an exam you can afford to not study for. This is not a system where the government will make sure we've done the right thing even if we haven't done the right thing through our lives. We need to hear about this future event and live accordingly in the present. This is critical. The truth of what Jesus says here is so confronting. It's as stark and serious as it can be. It's so challenging and provoking that this future thing must affect our present. That's what we're thinking about this morning. So we're going to look at these two parables, finishing off this whole parable section of chapter 13, and we're going to look at the two under two headings, the seriousness of the stakes, the seriousness of the stakes, and the responsibility to respond. The responsibility to respond. So firstly then, the seriousness of the stakes. Have a read from uh, verse 47, and remember this is Jesus himself speaking. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. Well, that's the parable. And we may be trying to work out, as we, we have done with these parables, well, what's the, what's the net represent and who are the fishermen and all those kind of things. But wonderfully, Jesus interprets it for us. We don't have to imagine what the main point of this is. We don't have to try and figure it out. He tells us. He says in verse 49, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These are some of the most sombre and serious words that you read in the scriptures. They come on the lips of Jesus. He says in this parable, a dragnet has been used in the uh, the parable to get a collection of fish, and then the fish are separated into good and bad. 
And then Jesus says, this is a picture of the end of the age, the end of this world, and the final judgment of God. That's what he's talking about here. And he tells us that the angels will separate us, human beings, into wicked and righteous. And although the word hell is not used, that's clearly what's being spoken of in this parable. I've got to tell you, I find speaking on hell and God's final judgment very, very difficult. I try and get away out of it any way I can. If James Ballinger wasn't on a holiday, I'd be having a sick day today and he'd be having to pick it up. This is why we don't choose which passages of the Bible we read here at St. Stephen's. We go all the way through because otherwise I'd be tempted to miss this one out and get on to a more positive one. But friends, no one talks about hell and God's final judgment more than Jesus. No one talks about it more than him. And if he thinks we need to be confronted by the reality of it, if you're here this morning because you think Jesus is the greatest human being who's ever lived and the most loving person who's ever lived and the most wise person who's ever lived, he thinks we need to hear about this. He thinks we need to be confronted by the reality of it. He thinks we need to be shaken out of complacency in our lives with it. Well, if he does, we do. Now, hell is a hard thing to think about, and God's final judgment is a hard thing to think about it for a number of reasons. But one is because we don't know everything about it. And sometimes I worry that as Christians we try to say more about it than we actually know. I pray that we won't do that. But if we did know it all, if we could understand it all, it would be better. Because uncertainty brings more problems. But we don't know everything. We can't understand it fully, so it's tricky when we're talking about this topic. But not knowing everything is not the same as not knowing anything. Can I say that again? Not knowing everything is not the same as not knowing anything. We don't know all of it. We do know some things. So what do we know? What can we say? Well, friends, we can say without a shadow of a doubt, it is a terrible thing. God's final judgment and the reality of hell is a terrible thing. The description here, see it, that Jesus says is of fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're the elements that Jesus most regularly uses on this topic. And it's clearly imagery shown to portray the awfulness of this reality. This is something you want to avoid at all costs. That's what Jesus is getting across. This is something you need to be aware of so that you can make sure you don't experience it. That's what's being got across by Jesus. But it's actually the other imagery which I find almost more distressing in these verses. Separation. We've been uh, reminded this year of the pain of separation, haven't we, with COVID. Many of us have had loved ones who live overseas and we just we can't go and see them if something goes wrong. We've had loved ones even in the same city as us who we haven't been able to see at different times. And yet we've still had the possibility of communication by text or phone or Skype or FaceTime or Zoom. We can still see the Dunbars over in Cambodia uh, based on this, but not here. This is separation of the highest order. Total separation. I don't want to be separated from people I love. But that happens in the final judgment. I know that for my dad... Um, I hope you don't mind me saying this, Dad, while you're here. When my dad became a Christian, uh, it was later on in life, and my mum had become a Christian, and Dad heard a talk about the reality of God's judgment, and he suddenly realised if this was true, it may mean he ends up somewhere without mum. That was one of the things that grabbed him. I desperately don't want separation in that kind of way. Now, do you see the picture that Jesus is speaking? He's not telling us everything, but he's telling us enough. 
fiery furnace, weeping, gnashing of teeth, separation. This is awful. We're supposed to be clear. We don't want this. We'll do all that we can to be counted righteous, not wicked. Now, this little parable of Jesus, he's talking to the disciples, so he doesn't go in to explain what you have to do to make sure you're counted righteous, not wicked. We know it. It's in the rest of the New Testament. Trust Jesus. Jesus has done everything we need to make sure that we're not counted as the wicked and we don't have to face the final judgment in in that kind of place. But that's not the focus here, but I hope you know it. If you've come this morning and you're not quite sure, trust Jesus, live with him as king, that's what we do. The point here is the stakes are so serious. They cannot be any higher. Now, I want to, because this is such a a serious topic and so important, uh, and it's so awful in some ways and raises so many questions, I want to say a couple of things more generally about God's final judgment and the reality of hell, which I think we need to keep in mind. Because there is a goodness and a rightness to the idea of a final judgment. And I want you to know that and be clear about it. There is a goodness and a rightness to the fact that one day there will be a final judgment and it will be done by God. And you you know this as soon as you think about it. Because one of the most evil and hard-to-live-with experiences that you and I have in this fallen world is injustice. We, We... Because of the way God's created us in his his image, we hate injustice. You will have seen injustice and seen the awfulness of it. More than that, you will have experienced it yourself, injustice, and sometimes painfully. And that injustice is part and parcel of the world that you and I live in. It happens every day in every community, in every planet, uh, in every planet, in every country on the planet. (laughs) And every planet, no... Uh, Good things that are done that go unnoticed or wrongly attributed. People who've done evil stuff who get away with it. Wrong verdicts which are handed out. I see there's a a TV program at the moment on the David Blaine uh, kind of situation. There will be some people here today who think David Blaine did it and why is he out? What's gone on there? There's an injustice. There will be others who think he didn't do it. Why on earth was he in prison for all that time? And There will be others of us who don't know. Injustice happens in this world. People never being caught. A person who doesn't deserve anything but the best getting sick and dying or being assaulted or injured or a person who doesn't deserve much more than our contempt never getting caught, never being seen for what they are, never being punished. Our world is full of injustice. And if our world remained like that, it is an awful, terrible, unfair place that is very hard to live in. You can hardly cope with the thought of a world like that. The reason so many people who don't believe in a God with a final judgment don't think about the reality of ongoing injustice everywhere in the world is it's almost unbearable and it's very hard to live in the light of because it means that in the end you can't be sure of anything. Therefore, because you can't be sure of it, it means that in the end everything's pointless and meaningless. It means you can't determine that there will be justice, so why bother doing anything? There's no meaning ultimately if it's like that. A final judgment from a perfect judge, which is what God is, a final judgment from a perfect judge changes all that. Because nothing is hidden. Nothing is missed. The smallest thing done is seen by the Lord God and known not just the action itself but the motivation for it and all the other factors. 
Everything is seen and observed, good and bad. Nothing is wrongly adjudicated. I make many wrong judgments in my life. Thank goodness I'm not the judge, but God is who knows it all. Nothing, therefore, is meaningless. Nothing is insignificant. Everything has meaning. This is one of the reasons Christians, down through the ages, have been able to cope with injustice in life better than most people. Because we know that even if we experience injustice in this world, in the end, everything is God's hands. And everything will be judged and justice will come. It's why if you're struggling as a Christian with some form of injustice that you've suffered, don't think about the situation and the person. Go to the cross and remember everything's in God's hands and take comfort from that. I am so thankful that there is a final judgment. Now, it worries me. It worries me personally because I know my own failings and my own weaknesses. And even, if, even though I know Jesus is my saviour and I'm good for that, it worries me because I've got people I love who don't know Jesus. So there's still a, that, that aspect. But the, the reality of a final judgment by a perfect judge is infinitely better than anything else. There is a goodness to it, a rightness to it. I also, while I'm talking about it kind of generally, I want to dispel something that's often used or, or uh, spoken of about final judgment and hell. I often hear people say, look, I don't like the way you Christians or God talk about hell because you use it as scare tactics. You use it as bully tactics. And uh, the accusation against God or against Christians is that you, you're, you're just trying to scare people into things. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. If you're warning someone about anything that is serious and dangerous, dangerous, then it, it almost automatically involves some form of fear. If you're a parent teaching or training your children not to touch the fire or heaters, then you're going to tell them about third degree burns and there'll be an element of fear involved in that, but that's totally appropriate. So the use of fear it, it is in itself not illegitimate. The key point will be, is that used inappropriately? Because sometimes fear can be used to bully or to confuse or to manipulate. So is hell being used in that kind of way? Well, sadly, I think we have to admit, sometimes Christians do use it that way. Awful, insensitive Christians who tell someone you're going to hell or turn or burn or that kind of lack of love for another person where, where we've been, we've, we're the problem. But that's not what Jesus does. That's not what God does. And I pray that won't be what we do. God is lovingly warning us because he wants the very best for us. He's warning us because of that reality and he doesn't want any of us to go through that. And the way we can know that with absolute confidence is he's not just shouting warnings at us. He loves this world so much he sends his only son. Jesus himself comes down, lowers himself to become human, goes to death, even death on a cross, to make sure we don't have to experience that. God's not just using scare tactics or bully tactics. He's doing everything he can because he loves us so much and he doesn't want that for us. He's trying to help. He's trying to protect and to save. We ignore his warnings, which are loving warnings, at our peril. There's a couple of things just generally on this. But do you see the, the weight of what Jesus is saying here? He wants us to see how serious this is, the seriousness of the stakes. I want to tell you this morning, life is not a game. What are you doing with your life? It's not just random. It's not just doesn't matter. It's not just unimportant. One day, each of us will have to give an account of our life, what we've done. Have we used our lives for good 
or have we just fritted them away? Have we used them to build up or to tear down? Have we served others or have we been self-serving? Have we lived for the one who gave us life, has given us all our gifts and given us his son, or have we basically ignored him and done our own kind of thing? The seriousness of the stakes here. We're to trust Jesus and live for him above and beyond everything else. It's very serious words that Jesus speaks of here. Very serious truth. Uh, The seriousness of the stakes brings us to the second parable and our last point this morning. The responsibility to respond. The responsibility to respond. Jesus doesn't just warn us about this to rub it in our face. As I said before, he doesn't just do it for inappropriate scare tactics or bully tactics or anything like that. Nor does he do it so that Christians can smugly know that we've got the truth and we're okay and we just watch everyone else without caring. We have a responsibility to respond in the light of what we know. Look at verse 51. Jesus asks his disciples, have you understood all these things? And they reply, yes. Now I take it here, have you understood all these things? He's not just talking about the parable we just saw, but all the parables he's just been teaching on the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he's saying, do you understand that when it comes to the kingdom growing, it's like uh, seed being scattered in different soils, as as he's saying, do you understand the parable of the sower? He's saying, do you understand that the kingdom starts off small like a mustard seed but grows? He's saying, do you understand that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast and you only need a little bit in it and it affects the whole batch because that's how powerful it is? He's saying, do you understand that the kingdom of heaven is like the wheat and the weeds which grow together in this world so good and evil are always going to be around? So you need to be patient and you need to be observant and understand. Do you realize that the kingdom of heaven, do you understand, disciples, that the kingdom of heaven is so valuable it's it's like a hidden treasure or a fine pearl that you should sell everything you have to make sure you've got that? Do you understand that, disciples? Do you understand, disciples, the seriousness that one day there will come an end to this age and we will all have to to stand before the Lord and there will be a separation. Do you understand this, disciples? And the disciples say yes. They understand it all. And it's when the disciples reply in the affirmative, Jesus gives this last parable. Verse 52, he said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who's been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. I think we're all thinking the same thing here. We're all thinking, Jesus, if you were here, we'd ask this question. Why haven't you interpreted this parable like you did for the others? Because this one's strange. There's an oddness to this one. It's not kind of... A lot of people argue about what what this parable's uh, saying. I think it's pretty clear, though. What it's saying is, remember, he's just said, do you understand all these things, all these parables about the kingdom of heaven? He's saying, if you understand it all, show it to others. If you understand it all, speak it to others. If you have understood it, share it with others. That's your responsibility and my responsibility. I think he's saying in this parable, every disciple of Jesus is like a teacher of the law now. We're like expert religious experts because we know the gospel. We know the old covenant and the new covenant. We know what Jesus has brought to the new kingdom. If we're a teacher of the law, we've been instructed about the kingdom of heaven, so let's bring out the new and the old to show people. In other words, if you know and understand, part of that is making sure others know and understand, sharing it with those around. That's what's being said here at the end of the parables. Friends, this world is full of people who don't know Jesus. 
And the tragedy of that is they will be counted as wicked at the final judgment. You and I have been blessed by knowing our Saviour. Our responsibility is for other people to know him. We're to have a heart like God's. What's God's heart as he looks out on this world? He loves it so much he sends his son. He gives the warnings. He does everything he can for the salvation of people. Our heart is to be like our heavenly fathers. A love for the world around us. To do all that we can. Do we see ourselves like that? Many of us are passionate about something. Most of us have some area or interest in life that we love to talk to others about for hours and hours on end. For some of us, it's crazy food theories. You know who you are. There are people in this room I know who've got crazy food theories and you love to talk about it for hours. I'm married to one. For some of us, it's our, the pastime that we love and have. And we love to shout its glory to other people and to try and get other people involved in it as much as possible. For some, it's... Um, commending our favourite website or blogger or sport. Get us started on that subject, it's hard to stop us. It's hard to find an off switch. And um, Are we that passionate for other people to know about Jesus? Because that's infinitely more valuable for them. Infinitely more valuable for them. Do we know the seriousness of the stakes? Do we know the responsibility we have to respond? The priority of evangelism and mission for an individual Christian and for every local church, it must, be the, it must be the priority. Now, the last thing I want to do in a, a morning like this, on a, in a talk like this, is lay another burden on you. And sometimes that's the danger in talks like this. Have you gone to this course or have you got 45 people that you're praying for or that kind of thing? I, I don't want to. The specifics are unhelpful because we're all wired differently. We're all, we've all got different human relationships and different gifts that God's given us. We're in different situations and contexts. Plus, there's 8 billion people on this planet. You cannot, you cannot be responsible for all 8 billion. And I point that out, not because I want to minimize the task, but because some people hear this and, and think, oh my goodness, this is so important. Everyone needs to know. But there's 8 billion people on the planet. I can't do it. And then we do nothing. Well, that's even worse. We've got to do something. So I don't want to give you the specifics about what you want, need to do, uh, how to put this into effect in your life. I just want to make sure you're clear on the principle. You then work out who you are, how God's wired you, what gifts he's given you, what people he's put in your place, or what, what your context is, all those sorts of things. But here's the principle. There will be an end to this age. And we will all stand before the Lord. And the only difference there is between the wicked and the righteous is Jesus Christ. God's given us everything we need to avoid what he describes here. It's Jesus Christ. The people in this world need to hear that. They need to know that. You and I are not responsible for changing hearts and lives. Only God himself can do that. But he chooses to use us. And this is the most important thing in life. This is our number one purpose before every other relationship and task and job that we have. It's this. Friends, can we do it? What are we doing to make sure we can do it better? I want to encourage you, not, these are not specifics for you, these are some general things that you may go, I need to do more of that. But here's just a few practical things as we think about how to do it. Praying. A lot of people will go, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to bring it up, and I'm worried that if I talk to someone about Jesus, they'll ask a question I don't know. A lot of us feel that way. We can all pray. Are we praying continually, constantly, without ceasing, 
for those that we know and love who don't know the Lord Jesus. Let's be prayerful. Are we living uh, a loving Christian life? Because the Lord tells us that the way we live will be a witness to Jesus. That means if you've got some family members who are not Christians, who are the people you're praying for and thinking about, the way you, com- the way you live your life as a member of that family will be a wonderful witness. Be the best son or daughter or father or mother or sister or brother that you can be. Be the one that they will go and, and talk to and share things with because you're the one who keeps it to themselves and offers them good advice and doesn't judge them unnecessarily. Be the one that they can have confidence in. And at, Same at the workplace. If you're the person at work that acts with integrity and honesty, the one who sets a wonderful example, who doesn't just work for their own glory but for the good of others, you're doing a wonderful witness to the Lord Jesus. But the gospel message does have content. And so for those of us who don't feel like we've got the right words or we can answer the right questions, let's work harder at preparing for that. Just like with anything else, uh, if it's important, normally it takes preparation and study. So if you don't feel confident enough to be able to talk about Jesus or answer questions, do some work. We run some courses here at St. Stephen's for just this purpose. Do a Christianity Explored or a, a Two Ways to Live so that you can feel more confident in that. Uh, meet up with another Christian who's a little older or wiser and can help you with how to do it. But let's, let's do it if we can. For some of you, it will mean uh, going into full-time ministry because the Lord has equipped you or gift you, gifted you in a way that we want to let you loose to spend all your time doing this. Uh, th- th- but we've got a responsibility to respond, all of us. All of us. The stakes are so serious and the responsibility we have, who've been blessed with Jesus, to respond is too significant. I hope you can see that these, these are the last two parables of Jesus' parables in this section. Do you see how they sum it all up? I said at the beginning there's been a call to vote over the last few months that I've felt um, bombarded with, really, but, uh, but it's been good because it's an important thing to do. But here is a greater thing a much more eternally important thing to do. There is a day in the future that must affect the way we live now. There is an event in the future that must affect the way you and I live now. We will all arrive at it and we need to be prepared because the stakes are so high. Will we let that future affect our present? Will we be prepared? And more than that, will we do all that we can to help prepare others? I pray we will. Let me do that now. Father, although these words from our Saviour are strong, we thank you for them because they reveal to us a truth we need to know and they come from you who cares for us so much. You lovingly warn us of it. More than that, you lovingly provide the way for us to avoid it. You've done everything. Father, please give us the desire to do what we can in the light of all your work. We pray, Lord, that we would have such a knowledge of uh, this future event and such a love for you and for other people that you would help us uh, take these responsibilities seriously to preach the good news of Jesus. Father, keep us from doing that badly, doing it insensitively, doing it in an awful way which actually pushes people away from you, but also keep us from not taking the opportunities that present themselves because we're scared or because we feel underprepared. Lord, we pray that because of the seriousness of this task, 
we would take it seriously and perform it responsibly. And we pray that perhaps even through our meagre efforts, you may bring more people to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, move more people from the darkness to the light into your life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.